Happy Passion Week. Trust it is going well for you uh, that your fast got off to a good start. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey Bendix. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I have the privilege of um, supporting and uh, journeying into our community to see God do miracles. Thank you so much for all that you're doing uh, to partner with us. Um, if you would, turn to Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 13. We have been right in the middle of, of a really important series um, called Sovereign God. And what we've been doing is we've been looking and considering how the sovereignty of God gives us traction during a season of time where it feels like uh, we are shaky at best. Last, uh, the first week that we considered this series, um, I got us started when it comes to how God has a purpose in our pain. We talked through uh, John chapter 11 and just considering the story of Lazarus and Jesus and, and, and God's response in the midst of, of both the pain that these individuals were facing and that God was using it so that the Son would be glorified. Last week, Pastor AJ did a great job of really giving us an anatomy of fear, of what it looks like for fear to have its work in us, but then at the same time uh, that we have a God who draws near and comes close through the life of Joseph. Um, and so for today, I, I really would love for us to consider this topic uh, out of chaos, courage. Out of chaos, courage. In Luke chapter 24, we have this, this amazing story. Before we get there, though, um, I, I heard a story here recently. Uh, in 1852, in the highlands of Scotland, there was a group of four to five individuals at a, at a pub that were hanging out, talking about the latest catch and hunt uh, in the highlands. And they were just exaggerating, as most men do when they talk about fishing and hunting and one man reached back to describe the catch that he had recently got, and he extended his hands. Well, at the point in which he was doing that, there was a, a waitress. and She had a, a rather large pot of coffee and several cups of coffee uh, on a tray. And he hit her, knocking all of the coffee on this freshly painted wall. She dropped her head because she knew she was going to have to pay for that wall to be painted once again. And the owner comes out livid. What are you going to do about my fresh wall? Screamed the owner to this poor waitress. And out of the shadows arises Sir Edwin H. Lanzier. Uh, he happened to be a painter, um, one of the best painters that Scotland has ever seen. And he's known for, for stags, his his rendition of, of stags up in the highlands. And he, he rises out of the shadows and he comes out and he says, before you repaint the wall, would you mind if I gave it a shot myself? And he happened to have all of the tools that he needed to begin painting. And so he took the stain of the coffee on the wall and he went to work. And what he created was a rendition, a portrait, a beautiful picture of a stag. That location, that pub has become, has been earmarked, a, a landmark of Scotland that now uh, people come to just to look at what Sir Edwin H. Lanzier created out of the failure and the chaos of this coffee stain. How much more Jesus Christ, who takes 
the chaos of our existence. And he, like Sir Edwin H. Lanzier, didn't create the chaos, but he promises to use it. And what I love about the story we're about to look at is we have this, this picture of what happens when, when all hell breaks loose. When our world spins out of control, we see ourselves in this text. We're going to see Jesus in this text. And we're going to see that Jesus always creates an unstoppable courage through you and I, even in the midst of chaos. Let's look at it. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 13 says this. Now this, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. About seven miles from Jerusalem, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they, and they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up, drew near, walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the... One, the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and the people. Chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This is an important text. This is the only uh, road to Emmaus story that we have in all of the Gospels. It's Luke's magnum opus, if you will. Jesus has just defeated sin, death, and the grave. He's defeated it all. And the question is, what will his first point of attention be? Who will he pursue first? Surely he's going to pursue someone who is at their finest hour. Surely he's going to pursue someone who is, who is doing great things to that as a result of that encounter is going to cause them to do even greater things. No, we find that Jesus, he comes and he comes alongside of two runaways. What, what I, I love for you to consider is that when our world is falling apart, we see a couple of things that are facts through this text. Fact number one, the human response when our world is falling apart is that we run away. That's just the facts. We find a way to retreat. Naturally, on the inside of all of us, we look to find somewhere to run when, when things are working the opposite of what we assumed. It reminds me of my son, Zachary, when he was in second grade. We were in Florida at the time, and um, he was being asked to do some math homework. It was in class, it was with his, the, the, uh, the entire class was there, all trying to work through a few math problems. And, and my son Zachary, is, he, he, uh, he went for it when it comes to trying to solve some problems. And he raised his hand, thinking that he had done it all right. He was about to boast. And the teacher comes and says, no, no, Zach, you, you did it wrong. Let's try it again. He gets a little discouraged. And so he goes back to it and tries it again. Raises his hand. Hey, I did it now. And the teacher comes and says, no, Zach, you did it wrong again. Zach gets a little bit more discouraged and, and he, he raises his hand one, one more time. The teacher comes around and says, Zach, no, you, you didn't do it right again. And so he stood up and he left. He left the school and he got on his bike 
and he went home. He was done. My man Zach was facing something that it wasn't going the way he thought, and so he just said, you know what, deuces. I am out. I'm not going to stay here. You can't keep me here. I'm done. A police officer, like a school officer, had had to come alongside of my son driving his car. Hey, buddy, what you doing? Zach goes, I'm going home. I'm done. I'm not going back to math class. Like, have you ever noticed that when your world is crumbling, we find ways to run to places that we think are more secure than the, that which is crumbling around us? Have you ever found yourself running to places that you know, they know they can't ultimately bring security, but man, it's so easy to run to them. That, that, for me, for all of us, we're natural born runners. This is that it, it really, it's amazing how, how on the inside of us, it's like a, this is a hyperlink to Genesis chapter 3, that when Adam and Eve, when they sin, what do they do? They run from God, and they go hide, and they create things to hide. I, I, I'm amazed that right now with our culture, that everything is crumbling, so there's nothing to, to run to. I mean, like, let's just think about it. You don't have a job to run to for, some, for most of us. That we don't have a gym to run to. We don't have a restaurant or a bar or a, a nightclub to run to. We don't have clothes that we can make ourselves look good and then go show ourselves off. We can't do that. Everything is crumbling around us. There's nothing to run to. And in these seasons, in this moment, in this defining moment where it's so easy to go inward, what, what we find here is that, is that Jesus is he's, he's allowing something to happen to prove something greater than just the fact that, that these individuals are running. They're running from the disciples who were in Jerusalem. They're running from where they're supposed to be. They're getting, in verse 13, they're going to Emmaus to start their life anew. I, I, I noticed here recently in, in statistics that, that we have suicide is up increased dramatically. We have domestic violence increased drastically. Even online adult entertainment websites, it's up 32% since COVID-19 began. What are people, what, what does this prove? That the human heart is sick, that we're broken and we need things to run to and when all else fails and we have nothing to run to, we implode. We implode. This text proves, it proves that we are natural born runners. You know what else it proves? Look at verse 21. This is what it says. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. When a world is crumbling, we get stuck in what was or what ought to be. I think for many of us, we look at our life before the beginning of March, and for many of us, we had life. Like things were up and to the right. Businesses had gotten started. Relationships were blooming. Jobs were just exploding. And then this happens. And what these individuals are doing is they're talking to Jesus, but they don't even see that he's there. His eye, their eyes are kept from recognizing him. And they realize that, man, if Jesus would have just done certain things, man, life would be different. We would now be coming into everything we were 
assuming what happened is that their world is crumbling and they're stuck in what was or they're stuck in what ought to be. Are you stuck in what was? Is there, is there a piece of you that looks both in the future or in the past and just you begin to shut down and implode in your own soul in the way that you see God because you don't like what you see or where you are and you ha- on the inside, it's so easy in those moments to accuse God. That's where these individuals were. Stuck in what was. But here's the third thing that we see that's a fact about when our world is crumbling, look at verse 15. Here is the fact. Verse 15 says this. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Do you realize that even when your world is crumbling and we often run away from where we're supposed to be, running to places that we're not supposed to be, guess what you have in Jesus? You have one who comes with us and even goes with us the wrong direction. Jesus comes with these individuals. He draws near and goes with them the wrong way. This is amazing. He's on this journey of seven miles with these two runaways. Why does he do this? Well, if you were to take the sum total, the totality of the entire Bible, and say, Pastor Corey, give me a theme for the entire Bible. I think I could do it with three words. God with us. God with us. Genesis 1, God creating man for himself. God was with him. Man lost it all, turned their back on God. And even when, when man turns their back on God, God never turns his back on man. And what, what we have is that now they, in the book of Exodus, they find themselves in captivity. And what does God do? He removes them out of, of captivity He exiles them, and then he goes with them, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. What is that? God with us. And then then he he creates this this central location, a tent of meeting, that that the people of God are all uh, encapsulated around it. They're circled around it. And, And that people would go in and encounter God's presence. What is that? God with us. And then David would, in, would introduce this temple. This temple would now represent God's presence now that is fully committed to God's people. What is that? It's God with us. And then Jesus comes as the fulfillment of that temple. And what Jesus does is he says his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And then he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now is the one that indwells you and I. What is that? It's God with us. And then he, God himself promising to come back one day to make all things new. Why? Because he is a God who is with us. That this is the, this is the, the unifying, um, cinching reality and theme in the entire scripture. And if you were to ask me, Corey, what's a 1B? I would probably say that God is with us in the mess. In the mess. And he uses the mess to propel his purposes within our life. And in this story, you have both of those coming together in this encounter with Jesus and these two runaways. I want you to know that in the midst of all hell breaking loose in your life, 
in the midst of all of the chaos, your world feeling like it's crumbling and imploding on itself. And even your responses, whether they be good or whether they be not so good, I just want you to know that Jesus is doing with you and, and me what he promised and what, he's, what we see him doing in Luke chapter 24. He's drawing close and he's going with you. Now the question is, where do they go? Where is this culminating? Where is this all leading to? Let's look in verse 28. This is what it says. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, is it true? The Lord has risen. I'm sorry, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. All of it now leads us to this defining moment where it's, it looks like Jesus is following them, but really it's the opposite, that Jesus is taking them to a moment and an encounter where their eyes are going to be opened, and it all happens at the meal, at the table, at the very place of communion that embodies the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I, I, I love how it all comes to the meal. Do you remember in Genesis 3, sin came into the world at a meal with a piece of fruit being eaten. Now, the hope of a resurrected Jesus and his commitment to you and I now comes back to the very place where sin came into the world and Jesus uses that place to declare to these two and to all of us that he is with us and he uses the greatest places of chaos and confusion to allow himself, his power, his message and the personal work of Jesus to, be, to now explode into the chaos through you and I. That Jesus goes and he leads them to the table and he, and, he, and he takes the bread, and he breaks it. Now, I love this, that, that now Jesus, who was the guest, becomes the host. He's, he's a guest. Remember, he's just, hey, he's being invited in. And it was, it was very inappropriate for a guest to take over to be the host. And here Jesus is. He just goes, he flexes his muscles like, I'm done. I'm done with being the incognito. Now I'm stepping in. Now I'm going to take over so that you can see not only who I am, but who you're created to be. And he takes the bread and he breaks it all at the table. I'm so glad that it's a table and not a desk. Do you see what a, what a, de a desk is, is where you work and where you usually have a diploma right over top of your desk to remind you and everybody else around you of what you've done? Yeah, this isn't a desk. This is a table where all you have to do is show up and receive. 
has nothing to do with what you've done, has nothing to do with your, your performance, has nothing to do with, with your past accomplishments. It has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he's done and his invitation to you to come and join him. And here these individuals, these disciples, they sit and the bread is broken and it's blessed and it's given. It's the, it's the body, it's the sacrifice of Jesus. It it's points us back to the Last Supper. It's the exact same words. Blessed, broken, and given. And it was at this encounter that as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus, their view of the world changed. It said that their eyes were open. Uh, one of my favorite stories is of my oldest son, who, when he was about 11 months old, he, could, he couldn't see very well. His eyes were crossing. And the doctor just simply said, come in, and I'm going to give him some glasses. And up to that point, my son had a tough time walking. He could barely crawl. He usually rolled. He just rolled everywhere. He gets stuck. It was kind of funny and kind of sad, but it was mostly funny. And... And he just, he would constantly get stuck. And now we took him to this doctor, his eyes crossing, and they gave him his first pair of glasses. And I'm telling you, instantaneously, the view of the world changed and he began pointing to things. I mean, he began, and then, and then it wasn't just him pointing, observing the reality that he had always been in but was missing, but now his glasses enabled him to begin to go from rolling to crawling to walking within a matter of weeks. That his proper sight allowed him to move properly. That when you and I, as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus and what he's done on the cross and the fact that the reality that he wants to give that to you and I, even when our world is crumbling around us, what that does, what that did for these disciples, that proper sight gave them proper courage. Gave them proper courage. Because the very next thing that you see these two individuals do, they go back to Jerusalem with urgency immediately. They go back to their place of pain. They go back to the place that they had been running from. They go back to where the pressure was. They go back to where... To, the embodiment of all of their hopes and dreams, it was all falling apart in Jerusalem. But Jesus leads them to himself that now gives them, through his own sacrifice, through the resurrection, gives them proper sight, which now produces proper courage, a un, an unstoppable courage. What is it that you've been running from? What have you been running from? What relationship, what sin pattern in your life that you've been numbing? What is it during this season where, where we can turn to so many different things to numb us? What is it that God is leading you to, to face? That he wants to give you his own sacrifice that gives you his own sight that now wants to propel you and empower you to walk with his courage. I love these individuals because they, they stood up and immediately they left. And I, I almost get the feeling like they broke records getting back to Jerusalem. They, they were rocking a sub five-minute mile. 
they were getting their tail back. Why? Man, they had a purpose on the inside of them that nothing could stop. And during this season, where your life is falling apart, seems to be, everything around us that we've been pursuing and, and looking to numb us and to, to run to, it's not available. And you have Jesus, who is as patient with you as he's always been, as passionate about your life as he's ever been. And he's saying yes to you even though you've said no to him. And this is, this is a moment, I believe, for our church, for this community, to have a fresh encounter, an ongoing encounter with the resurrection power of Jesus to give us his side and his courage. I, I found here recently a quote that really encapsulates, that really is a beautiful summary of what it looked like in the first century to live with the type of courage that I'm referring to. It was a, a Caesar, Caesar Heridian, in 127 AD, was trying to figure out what the Christians were like and what they, what, how they lived, what was special to them, how, what, is, what was it like to be a Christian in, in my city? And so he, he sent a spy, Aristides was his name. And this spy was inculcated into the Christian life. He saw it all and he was taking notes. And he wrote back to Caesar, to the Caesar, and this is what he says. They love one another. And he who has given, or he who has gives to him who has not, without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him in their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no food to spare, they fast two or three days to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is the manner of life. This is a new people. And there is something divine in the midst of them. Church, this is who we are. We are that people. Standing on the shoulders of Christians from 127 A.D., who are standing on the shoulders and are, who, who have been made a new people as a result of Jesus Christ. The same Jesus that created that people is the same one that is creating this people in this day and age. I'm asking for you to freshly consider and go back to the power of the word, to the power of small groups, to the power of this church, to ask for the presence and the person of Jesus to freshly awaken in you uh, an experience and an encounter with him that continues to give you and I fresh perspective so that we could have fresh courage. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for the unstoppable courage that comes out of chaos as a result of Jesus Christ. That there is no weapon that is formed against this people that will prosper because we have been formed by Jesus. If you're here and you're like these two disciples who couldn't see, but now you feel like, like you're seeing Jesus for the first time, your eyes freshly seeing the landscape of life through the perspective and the hope of Jesus. Like my son, you're you're, you're seeing things. You're, 
being introduced to a world that now is through the filter of the resurrection. And you want to submit and surrender to that Jesus. The Jesus, the, 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 the very God-man, fully God, fully man, who knew you since the beginning of all creation and was leading you to where you are right now so that he could introduce himself to you in a way that, that, that no man can steal. It's called salvation. And saying yes to this Jesus. And all you have to do is this. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life. Forgive me of my sin. I choose you. But more importantly, you choose me. Because of your resurrection, Jesus, I'm a new man. Jesus, I say yes. I say yes to you. If that's you, if you have said yes to Jesus, I just want you to push the button that says raise your hand. And then follow that link, that prompt, all the way through. Because we have pastors who want to pray with you right now. We want to help you get on this beautiful journey of following Jesus for the rest of your days. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. Church, we miss you. We love you. We'll see you on Sunday.